What's up, everyone? I want to tell you guys about my friends over at GT Nursery. Green Touch Nursery is located at 8842 Park Street in Bellflower, California, 90706. Oscar, the owner of this nursery, is a dear friend of mine and was actually a guest on this podcast on episode number 28 titled The Shed with his brother Edgar. Make sure to check that out. Oscar's been growing plants since he was 10 years old and was exposed to nurseries his entire life. His family owned multiple nurseries, so he grew up working in these places and lives and breathes plants every single day. He opened this place up back in February 2015. They are open on weekdays 8 to 4 and weekends 9 to 3. They specialize in cacti and succulents from all over the world. And let me tell you, with Oscar, the knowledge goes deep. This dude is constantly in the field doing research, going to botanical gardens, getting with really experienced growers and asking all kinds of questions. So you don't just get a plant, but you get the knowledge and passion behind this place. And that can really be felt when you're there. Their mission is to create a community of like-minded individuals from all walks of life that enjoy beautiful plants. I would say they have succeeded in their mission. I've attended multiple plant swaps and meetups. And this place is really like a home base for the for those of us in the local community. They also host these big sales where he brings in vendors from all over the place, really bringing amazing and obscure plants to the table. You need to head over to their Instagram at GT Nursery. I will make sure to plug a link to all of their socials and content in the description of every episode. He does these live auctions every Wednesday evening, and it's a lot of fun. He's constantly uplifting other members of the community and really giving other people an opportunity to come on to this very successful auction and sell plants. I've done it a couple times and it's amazing to see the success that they've had. Oscar and Edgar have really dedicated themselves and honed their craft and have been very consistent with these auctions. It's a lot of fun. Even if you're just watching, it's one of my favorite things to do on a Wednesday evening. You can head over to their Instagram for more info. I'm very grateful to have this partnership and to be telling you guys about this place. Green Touch Nursery, 8842 Park Street, Bellflower, California, 90706. Tell them I sent you. Hello, my plant friends. I want to take a moment to talk to you guys about mushrooms. No, not that kind of mushrooms. I'm talking about reishi, chaga, shiitake, maitake, ergo, cordyceps, lion's mane, all these different mushrooms that have been used for thousands of years in Chinese herbal medicine. It is ancient wisdom that there are tons of health benefits to consuming mushrooms of all types. And I recently started supplementing with this company called Real Mushrooms. If you haven't had the chance to listen to episode 38 featuring Jeff Chilton, I highly recommend it. He is the founder of this company and an ethnomycologist who's been studying mushrooms for a really long time. He really breaks it down for us. Another good resource for this information would be the movie Fantastic Fungi. Definitely recommend that. Or you can just click on one of the links in the description of every episode that will take you to articles that outline all the different health benefits of these mushroom supplements. Now, I'm going to run through all the ones that I've actually been taking myself. So Real Mushrooms offers these hot water extracts that are made from the whole fruit body of these mushrooms, and they come in both powder and capsule form. So I've been taking the five defenders in the capsule form, and it's a blend of turkey tail, reishi, maitake, shiitake, and chaga. Now, all of those mushrooms have been proven to boost the immune system. So who couldn't benefit from having a boost in their immune system right now? Another one that I'm taking is the Mushroom D2Z, which is a blend of reishi and chaga only. It is infused with vitamin D and zinc. Now, the vast majority of the population is deficient in vitamin D. So what better way to get it 
than in these mushroom supplements that come with all these other health benefits. Another one that was recommended to me, but I'm taking in the powder form, is chaga. So chaga has been used to help improve issues with digestion. So if you have something like IBD, IBS, I highly recommend this. I've been taking it at night, mixing it with my sleepy time tea, and I've noticed a huge improvement in my digestion problems. So anytime I'm about to do a podcast, I take lion's mane or right before work. Lion's mane has been proven to help with cognition. It is a nootropic that some studies suggest that may even be creating new neural pathways in your brain. So anytime I think I'm going to have to use my brain a lot, I take the lion's mane. And the last one that I'm taking is cordyceps. So cordyceps are used by athletes for performance enhancement, and they're known to really help with endurance and boost your energy levels. So if you're feeling really low energy, start trying this cordyceps. I'm taking it every day and my energy levels are way up. So that's all the ones that I'm taking myself personally that I can speak on, but there's testimonials for every single one on the website of Real Mushrooms, realmushrooms.com. If you're ready to pull the trigger and want to make a purchase and start supplementing these mushrooms, make sure to click on one of the links in the description of my episodes, or you can go to the link in my bio on my Instagram and click the little button that says real mushrooms and it has a little mushroom emoji. Or you can use code if plants could talk at checkout and you'll get 10% off all future orders. However, if you're a first time buyer, you can sign up to get a first time buyer code of 25% off your first order. So definitely do that. It would help me out a lot if you guys use my link and use that code at checkout. So make sure to go check them out. Real mushrooms. This podcast is brought to you by Mezcala Nursery, located at 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90805. Mezcala is family-owned, family-ran since 2007. This is the House of Succulents growing grounds. I'm talking everything you can possibly imagine in the succulent realm, from your common everyday plants to your more rare and obscure imports. They can service your landscaping needs and they have a bunch of hoop houses dedicated to houseplants and tropicals. If you guys need any kind of plant, I'm telling you, go to Mezcala. If you bring them a price from another nursery, they're going to beat it. If you bring them a price from a big box store, they're going to beat it. 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90805. Mezcala Nursery. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Both Plants Could Talk. This is Garrett. I'm your host. This conversation took place on November 5th, 2021 with my guest, Filter Free Jesse. Jesse joined me for the second time on the podcast today. We originally had an episode back in June, and I really enjoyed our first conversation, but I think I enjoyed our second conversation even more. Uh, Jesse's a rad human being and is very authentic and has a very eclectic personality and interests and uh in the way that she expresses herself if you guys don't follow her page make sure to go check it out you can follow her travels and see her art and her her music and her culture and all of that was very apparent in today's conversation she actually spent quite a bit of time talking about her indigenous side of her family and she's been learning about that in recent months and what that's been like she might have even shed a tear on the podcast I'm very grateful that she was so vulnerable, and I thought it was fascinating. We did not run out of things to talk about, and I haven't podcasted in 20 days, so something like that. And so coming back with Jesse was was really easy for me, and it felt very organic, and 
Um, it was very unplanned. I, I hit her up yesterday and asked her if she was down to do a spontaneous episode, and she agreed. So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, Jesse. Love you. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Jesse. Jesse, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I am well. I feel pretty good. I just got done with a run. How are you today? Nice. Doing good. Um, not going on a run. I don't like running. <laughs> <laughs> but good. I'm glad that it's doing well for you. It's not good for me. I'll wake up in the middle of the night starving. Like I, it's like I burn too many calories. Mm, do you have like a an abnormally fast metabolism already? Um. Well, I don't really gain weight fast, so I think so. Probably, huh? Um. Yeah, but I think I'm more slow and steady. It's easier on my body. So I'll be on my feet for like 15 hours a day. Um. And but if I run and burn the same amount of calories, and my body just hates it, so I think I'm at for the the long haul type movements. It's interesting how different everybody's body is because it's not for everyone. You know, certain what what's your running? What's your your ritual? I don't. That's <laughs> oh, my running. Yeah, oh. what's your version of running? It's going to be different every time. So uh, you know, some weeks it's it's just gardening where I like dig up a bunch of stuff. It's a lot of labor moving everything around shoving stuff in the big old trash cans um other times it's it's going to, to concerts um i still go in the pit sometimes depending on the show so that definitely is a lot of exercise but it's different every week uh taking the dogs to fiesta island walking around for like an hour um but mostly i just it i don't know it just changes over time but i just i'm always always active adventure always. It sounds like adventure yeah yeah traveling oh god i love traveling i just don't get to do that too often yeah, no, I see you. You're you're all over the. You're always doing stuff, you know. At least when you you seem to find the time to be able to do stuff, which is cool. And I yeah, I cram it you, in. I wanted to ask you about those <laughs> recent travels because I was looking through your Instagram and I saw you were in Boston for one, but you were staying in hostels. I would love to hear about your travels. Like, what's been going on in your life since we talked last? I don't even know when that was. Do you know when that was? <laughs> no, it was a while had to be ago. within the last year or so. For <laughs> I don't sure. know. But it so, was a while ago. Go ahead. I got a I got a hysterectomy uh, by choice, um, mm -hmm. and it it's been just I think two months now, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. But uh, I had to take a month off of work, and I used the last week of my month to go travel. And I ended up meeting um, meeting up with one of the Instagram people, uh, Jordan uh, Jordan's Indoor Jungle is her is her handle. So I went to go meet her. We hung out for a little bit. That was cool. So she's right outside of Boston. Um, so I flew into Boston, but I got in about 10 p.m., which is 7 our time, and I knew I wasn't going to be ready for bed. So uh, I just booked it in the hostel right off the train station in downtown Boston. It was the first time there, and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the people tend to be more friendly. So it was built like a, like a hotel, so we had key cards to get into our rooms. There was co-ed rooms, and then um, – you know, either a guy's or a girl's room. So it, it felt safe. And then there were cameras in the hallways. Mm. And then there were like a bunch of bathrooms with a shower in it, way cleaner than I imagined. Um, and then a communal kitchen. And I think it was, I didn't realize hostels were, were so cool. Like, you know, over in Europe, they're pretty normal. So they're not like what you would think of as dangerous here. Like some of the hostels here on the beaches are just like an old house with shared rooms and no real like safety. Um, sure. There's, there's like brands of hostels out there that I found online and 
and there's like a rating system, kind of like a Yelp for hostels. So you mm. can see which ones are good and, and, you know, safe or, and this one was, and immediately when I went in there, someone, this w- woman started talking to me in the uh, elevator, offered me a slice of pizza that she had because she couldn't eat it all. And uh, I was actually starving. So then we talked and then she met up with her friend in the communal kitchen. And we talked for like two hours standing around in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to find something to do to make me tired. It was really awesome. Um, but I'm definitely going to be staying in hostels from now on. It's like 40 bucks in the middle of downtown, you know, where hotels are $300 a night. Sure. Um, yeah. And most of them are by public transportation. Um, so either a train station or bus stops, so you can get to them pretty easily. Mm. Yeah. I think it's more traveling for me. What I've been missing because when I stay in hotels, I feel like you're not supposed to talk to your neighbors. There's no real communal areas except a bar, which is usually expensive and kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, with a hostel, it's like a cooking kitchen. So they have a giant kitchen. It's like a restaurant size with tables in it. And so you're met, you can cook and eat with people, talk with people. And it was very community feeling. Yeah. And then people talked about their travels and gave you tips of where you were going next. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend hostels with a little bit of research on the internet. Yeah, that's awesome. There are a lot of foreigners staying in hostels now. Was that your experience? Uh, it was a mix. Yeah. It was a wide mix, everything. Yeah, people from out of town, uh, from different states, and people from out of the country. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It was awesome. Oh, and then I flew into Chicago after mm. after Boston after a few days to go visit some family. Mm. And um, that place was cool. That place is blunt. And I fit right in as the first city I just went to and automatically felt comfortable. What did you like about you know, it? People, Oh man, people were blunt. So this is kind of funny. So like I was crossing the street and I looked healthy, but I was still hobbling around from surgery Mm -hmm. and people get right up to you when you're in the crosswalk, like move. And I think they thought I was just like walking slow (laughs) and I'm like, no, sorry. I just, I look healthy, but like, I'm really not like, I'm just hobbling and the whole thing just cracked me up. But I didn't think it was rude at all. I know how I was perceived as healthy and able-bodied walking slow and me being rude and then pushing me with their car, like right here, like go <laughs> waiting to cross on a left turn. Um, and I just loved it because of the, the bluntness of it. You didn't know, there was no guessing where you fell with people in, in mm. Chicago. They just tell you. Mm. I wonder if that's mm-hmm. like similar to like the New York attitude. It's just big city, big city vibes. I think New York's a little more stuck up. Like, Is it? Yeah, they're London mean. too. They're my yeah. they were mean. <laughs> yeah. See, Chicago's more like they're uh, they're blunt. They'll tell you like move out of the way, but they won't be like, oh, stupid tourists. Oh, I'm so much better. I'm from Chicago. Like you know, like they do in New York, and that's what they do in New York. Uh, but Chicago's more just like move, move, <laughs> and, uh. and then once you're moved, like the problem's gone. Like they don't care. You know, so. They just got stuff to do. That was a cool city. They have a lot of culture there. So many different neighborhoods uh, with food from like all the immigrants that were there. It's such an old city. Uh, Architecture is amazing. There was art everywhere. Um, There was shows like even concerts just flying in on like a, it was a Thursday night and there were still shows like people lining up for concerts. It was awesome. It was an awesome city. So you were just solo cruising around without an agenda or did you have like a little bit of planning? Uh, a little bit. I, I when I when I plan trips, it's more like I have destinations, mm-hmm. and then I have uh, a list of places that I could go to. I usually make a Google Maps, and mm-hmm. I save save stuff. Um, and then if I'm in an area, 
um, then I can, and then I have, I can just look at the map and be like, oh, I wanted to check out these places. And then there's a couple places that I do have intentions to go to whenever I travel. Uh, when we were, when I was in Boston, I met up with Jordan and she took me to Logies or Logies. I don't know how it's pronounced, okay. but it's a big, it's a big, like tropical plant stuff. They have mm. a couple succulents and I'm not in a tropical plants at all <laughs> but this place was yeah you would love it i mean if you just look it up on the internet o-l-g-e-s i think it's in connecticut technically um but it's just a cool it's a cool spot um intense and they keep stuff growing all year long um, so i grew an appreciation for it not mm. my thing but it's very beautiful and and then we went to um she took me to some little local nursery and they had like a hundred Hakka Joes, Hakku Joes. Yeah. Those little cactus uh, with the cool, like, like furry rinds almost. Mm. Um, but yeah, I actually have one in the package I sent to you. It'll be coming a little baby one. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. They're so hard to find out on the West coast and they're expensive. And over at this nursery, there were literally like a hundred of them for like a dollar or $2, these little babies and got these like big, um kind of crusty looking where i'll show i'll just show you yeah i'd um, love to see so those were definitely on the itinerary um but more jordan set that up because i didn't know that area but the plants right. were on the itinerary yeah of course awesome. everywhere every time i travel yeah so this this haka joe right here whoa is so cool and it was like six dollars for this thing what? And that? then, where, what's that native to? Why you is know, it in Boston? <laughs> it was, yeah. It's, I don't know. This person just has all these cultivars. And then this one it was one, one of my favorites. Look at this back here. Whoa, you love those like it, gnarly looking fucking cactus, yeah. huh? It has to be ugly in the right way. <laughs> right. And then I went to buy this, and they're like, Are you sure you want to buy this? Because <laughs> I don't know. That might be damaged. I'm like, Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, I did have to treat it for like mealies and then ship it to myself. Um, <laughs> so, cause I just couldn't take too much stuff on the plane, you know, all these pokey things. And, um, but yeah, they, so now I gave some to you, Charlie freeze Dean over at Gnosis. Um, so, and now you, or did I say you? Yeah. So yeah. we all have Hakka Joe's, Hakku Joe's, um, now in in southern california and they propagate like crazy they like do a bunch of offsets mm. so we'll in a couple of years we're just going to be all over southern california so sorry to the nurseries you're trying to sell that but um i don't know they're way too expensive for as fast as they grow so i had to share no oh, so it tends to, to be a little bit more of an expensive plant just because of the rarity out here i mean oh. i've seen it on like two websites in california mm. and that's it yeah. So when I saw this place with like a hundred for so cheap, I'm like, well, I'm just going to box a bunch of stuff up and ship it to myself and then keep the two big ones and give the babies away to people. I love when people give me plants like that. Cause if there's like, especially a story behind it and then I get to hold on to it, you know, and I had the pleasure of talking to freeze recently on the podcast. And like, it was the first time we really ever conversed and man, I like that guy. He's, he's an interesting one. And he's like, so I don't know. He's like authentic and, and mm -hmm. just like just himself. And he, he's very passionate about the rocks and knowledgeable too, man. The guy threw a bunch of knowledge at me. Yeah, he did. He's a good person. And I did like that, that episode a lot. Yeah, um, I think it. I listened to it on one of my trips recently, one of my little mini road trips or something. I don't know. 
It's so weird to me when I see that, like, or hear about that. Like, people tell me, oh, like, Big Cactus Rescue's on his his drive on his tour. And he's like, make more episodes. I'm done. I've already caught up. It's just so weird. He's in a fucking other country and he's listening to it. It's, I mean, I'm honored, but it's still strange and hard to get used to. Freeze gave me this, Stromatolite. And uh, I like these a lot. They're like the early algae. They say that, like... It, when these formed, they their Earth got enough oxygen to create more multicellular life. So these are like the reason why we were able to be here because they mm-hmm. produce so much oxygen. So it's so cool. They're yes. like billions of years old. Yes, yes. I actually learned that from a TED Talk. Really? I learned from it in an... my class the other night. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm not really much into the TED Talks because they're too slow for me. But the uh, there was this one guy who was a photographer for... National Geographic, I think, in the 80s. And he's obsessed with that in particular mm-hmm. because he thinks it was the reason why we're here today. Yeah. Um, stromatolite or however you pronounce it. Yeah. That's uh, it. yeah. So he's he was just this whole like he just had a bunch of um, pictures about it, of his travels all over the world to see really ancient organisms. And there's some places that have um, that have ancient, ancient bacteria and algae and, and uh, in these remote parts of the world that he's uh, photographs so he used those to tell a story of how the earth was formed to today with with um oxygen breathing like organisms so weird yeah like how did how does that turn to this <laughs> the fuck? mind-boggling everybody's got their own explanation for it yeah well there's like some yeah. theories that like maybe comet a comet brought in the first little bit of cells and when it hit the earth then it branched off but like who knows? I, that kind of makes sense to me that maybe some form of life came to the planet originally from space in the form mm-hmm. of like a comet and microorganisms. I don't know. I think about stuff like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. That's what I think, too. I mean, science is guessing so far of what happened. But I don't know. there's all folklore of how the Earth started and how things came to be. So yeah. I don't know wish we could know one day for sure it'd be so cool yeah well why are we here what's the meaning of life <laughs> i know <laughs> has anyone know, figured that I'm... out yet <laughs> no i think it's probably up to the individual <laughs> my meaning of life is making it better for everybody else mm. uh, that's what i live for human connection mm. uh i guess well not just human connection earth and animal connection too um yeah, especially learning a lot more about my indigenous side lately and and how connected I know it sounds really cliche like oh connected to the earth but like honestly you have to be connected like in a non-hippie like think of the non-woo-woo type of way of actually be connected to the earth to very much how we cultivate cactus of like when you take stuff from like fruit or seed from a plant or leaves from a plant you have to you know to think about you're going to disconnect it from the plant so it can grow back more or the same or more mm. uh not not just for the plant but for the animals and the insects and everything that also thrive off the plants instead of be connected and it's very scientific um and it, instead of just i don't know when you hear like connection to the earth i think a lot of people have turned that into like meditation and thinking and like well <laughs> there's more to it than that you know you have to be physically connected in a way of like what's your impact on on the earth and um I've been learning a lot from uh, just word of mouth. Unfortunately, my history has been erased. Um, oh, yeah. Tell me about that. I remember reading about it on Instagram. You told the story a little bit. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm still learning a lot. Uh, so I'm part Maidu, mm-hmm. uh, which is Northern California. What I assume is the Oroville area. Cause that's where my dad's side is. Um, my last name, Clark, very white sounding, uh, but it's actually from the native side, my indigenous side. Um, two theories. There was a major matriarch who married a minor um, by choice. Um, and she took the last name Clark. However, I don't think I come from that particular family. Um, the more common one is there was a bunch of ranches when uh, colonizers took over and then the indigenous either worked or were enslaved or had indentured servitude. It's just, we don't really know. Um, and they would take the last name of the ranches they worked on. And one of the big ones up there was Clark. And so all of us are named Clark and we're one of the biggest mm. families up there. It's a common name for my due, um, uh, for my due family up there. So I had no idea. I learned this like five years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, and I actually learn a lot from some Maidu people I meet or uh, Paiute because they're related, mm. uh, a lot of word of mouth. Um, and sometimes people change their names too because it was basically illegal to be indigenous. Yeah, adopt a white ch- name. It's a pretty common mm-hmm. story. Yeah, for a lot of nationalities when yeah. they come here. I know yeah. a lot of Asian Asian families will name their, mm. you know, Tammy is such a popular one, you mm-hmm. know. A lot of Asian women because they wanted them to to assimilate, right. not be discriminated against. Uh, right. So they took white sounding names, and you know, so any of that could be where my last name came from. I think it came from the ranch, though. Mm. Uh, that seems to be the most common, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I'm, I took a couple. Well, I took a class, then I follow this one person called Nic- Nicholas Hummingbird, and he has a lot of plant knowledge for. Um, for indigenous California indigenous plants in particular, which includes a lot of cacti and succulents. So mm. there's like agaves and and aloe, I think aloes, definitely paddle cactus and some of the succulents, the doublias and all that. Yes. So he he has classes uh, that he runs sometimes uh, sharing indigenous knowledge on how to harvest properly these foods um, and how to cook with them or how to plant native native yards. Um, but yeah, even the the Nepalese was was mentioned in there, which of course is indigenous Southern California and the whole Western region here. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I learned a lot from him and started looking at, you know, my yard differently, but even cultivating food from California's California's land uh, is very much like how we do cactus. So when we graft cactus, uh, when we cut cactus, I should say, when we cut cactus or succulents uh, in order to produce more, you know, some people have a, have a way of like cutting into the stem you know, you see it a lot on agaves. Mm. Well, they'll cut like yeah, a piece to, of the head to make off. make it duplicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To produce multiple heads. Like yeah. So that's exactly, but it's scary, right? And sometimes they have to do it at an angle to get, you know, the core. But that's how indigenous people harvested all, all the stuff on the land. It was very similar to that. So that it would make it more, off. but they could take what they needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's like a procreation uh, aspect of this connection that you're talking about uh, to the earth. Uh, You're not talking about making children. I know that's not on your agenda, but uh, (laughs) you're talking when you were saying that earlier, you you were talking about connecting to the earth. You were talking about like duplicating your plants, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much how you see people, uh, you know, grow weed or duplicate cactus. Yeah. 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 It was very similar. And, uh, you know, I guess I didn't realize that, yeah, we should probably harvest sage in the same way or any of the wildflowers to cut them off at a certain point so it doesn't kill the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that instead that it prolongs it or makes it produce more. Yeah. 
I got a California white sage plant uh, recently and it's doing well. And I, I have a fucking jungle of it right by my house. I love going back there and just staring at it. They have a purple sage and then they have the California white sage. And I harvest it sometimes when I try to make sure to cut it in the right place and stuff. But it's so abundant. There's so much of it. It's wild. Like there's one little last piece of native like plants and land that has been untouched with salt marsh behind my house. And it's interesting because I'm very far inland and there's still salt marsh back there with like fish and it's gorgeous. It's, I go back Amazing. there every day and run and I honestly think it brought me out of my depression because I got so fucking depressed. It was so bad like in the last two months and there's a few things that triggered it, but it just seemed to like be piling on and just going back there and escaping and running has saved me. Like I've turned around completely. I'm not quite out of the woods, but I feel a lot better. And I that's definitely excellent. attribute it to, attribute it to the native space that's back there. Yeah, the the native stuff's awesome. The more I learn about it, the more it's just. Uh, so I guess pre colonization, California was one of the most diverse areas in North America. Mm-hmm. We had so many languages and families here, and the reason, and it was all revolved around the native plants. Um, I'm not an expert here. I'm just going to put that disclaimer. It's just stuff I'm continuously learning. Um, and it's information hard to come by, but California pretty much, uh, cultivated itself. Uh, indigenous people, uh, planted, didn't plant, but maintained. So Mm. the national parks were all actually maintained by indigenous people, which, and, and so the plants in California produced food and herbs and medicine all year long, Mm. um, different, you know, seasonally. And so all, a lot of the indigenous people, all, all we had to do was maintain it with fire pruning and harvesting. And so we got to relax most of the, yeah. Yeah. And we got to, um, basically relax most of the year. Uh, you know, that's why they're pretty much every family in California were were basket makers because they had the time and that was a part of harvesting the grass too, was, um, you know, making baskets and then, tra- you know, for transporting and then just keeping the land uh, with the native plants. So when the Spanish came in, they brought in the cattle. Oh, my God, I didn't know this, but the cattle was what destroyed California. Mm. They came in and ate everything, which mm. destroyed the ecosystem, which destroyed the food system that was here, the food system that we didn't even have to labor for. Um, and then uh, the seeds that were brought in intentionally and unintentionally that were from Europe that are fire hazards. Mm. Um, came in and replaced a lot of the stuff like eucalyptus and the the grasses that die off. So California is no longer green, and it was a desert green, you know, not like you know rainforest green. Mm. It was green most of the year, and then the plants that were in fire areas were fire resistant. Like I think it was the, I think it was a manzanita. Um, or they they would just melt in the fire, mm. so they didn't spread fire. Um. However, if they're dried out, they're like coal. They burn forever. Um, mm. But yeah, so um, yeah, just just even being connected to the indigenous plants here is a different way of life that we're actually all striving for. The, the way people want to retire, to relax, to do what they want, to not have to labor for food yeah. and for shelter. That's literally how it was before uh, a lot of Europeans came here. Yeah, <laughs> and just to set up a place so they can toil and then retire later, which I mean, it was already it was already the way it was, um, yeah. where they wanted it. If they just knew, instead they called people uncivilized because they and aimless. I think there was like a term for like aimless people in Southern California. It's because they didn't have to toil to live. Mm. 
But, you know, some of the, in Northern California, the fire departments up there have brought back indigenous people for cultural fires. So there's Mm. a lot of, I think it's called cultural fire on Instagram, Mm. something along that line. And uh, they show their, they have indigenous led uh, ceremonial burns all year, you know, throughout the year. Yeah. Um, You know, intentional burns, which is cool. So hopefully, I mean, it might be a little too late to fix California, but it'll help. Yeah, well, I definitely think that that's a big solution to a lot of our problems is to like return to the way that things were before, for sure, you know, and like try to get back to that in any way that we possibly can. And it seems like there's a big portion of the population that is kind of turning towards nature now, you know, and I would love to, I I think about it all the time, just moving out of the city and and being in the woods, growing my own food, something like that It would be nice. I'd be the desert. I'm all about that dry dryness. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can get plots of land out there by like in Yucca Valley and you know. Getting gentrified over there now. Like Morongo Basin is I don't know. It's not gonna be the same. And we're hoping people exit. Actually, I found uh, there was an article, I think, in a, the LA Times talking about people who escaped the pandemic and went and bought a house mm. out in Yucca Valley, Joshua Tree, Morongo Valley. And they're complaining that stores aren't open like there's not enough places to eat they move there for the desert life and then they go and complain Mm -hmm. that there's not enough there's not enough things open to eat like yes welcome to the desert you have to plan your life around the weather uh Mm. around the hours of the stores these small towns they are what they are for that reason and uh and complaining about rats eating through their stuff or mice eating like yep that's that's the desert you moved into and then the rolling blackouts during the heat which again, that's the desert. You got to plan for that. <laughs> so I think it's kind of funny how it's the way that they're complaining. You know, they move to a place to get to this nice desert area and then complain that it's not like where they came from. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we're hoping there's like an exodus of people from the desert so it can go back to people who appreciate it. And more importantly, the indigenous, um, the indigenous people that ran it in the first place. Yeah. I've heard some conspiracies that there's been a lot of disappearances out there lately in Joshua Tree and Yucca Valley. A lot of people oh, yeah? disappearing. Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it'll be up in a podcast that I told you about, the Desert Oracle mm. book and podcast. They talk about folklore and people disappearing in the desert a lot. Yeah. Although most of the disappearances are people not being prepared. Sure. Um, in the desert environment. The and, and not having the right equipment and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You got to think like a cactus when you're out there, you got to have a lot of water stored on you and to be able to, to be in places that'll take you away from the most direct midday sun. You know, uh, I don't think people realize that look to look to your plants. If you want to know how to survive in an area and see how they live (laughs) common sense. (laughs) Yeah. Back to like that, the way things were before, I'm interested by that a lot because I, in Long Beach, there's still some ranches. Like a lot of Long Beach was all ranches. And then a lot of the city, like Seal Beach area, Los Alamitos, my understanding is that it's like Lakewood liquefaction zones. So they're like, the land is like built on top of water. So it used to be like wetland and they fucking built on top of it. Somehow they were able to like turn it into aquifers and build on top of it so like a lot of it is like sinking because it's on top of water i don't know i'm really interested in that i didn't know that yeah that's how mexico city was built it was built on top of water too (laughs) right and it's it's sinking isn't it 
Um, you know, when I was there, I wasn't so sure about the sinking, but they've just built so much on top of itself for so long. If it is sinking, it's got like, you know, two more cities below it to sink. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that it was marshland and we need marshland for the, it's, you know, it helps fires and, uh, uh, coastal erosion too. Mm. So to have like the marshes there and the natural like sand dunes. Yeah. And oh, and then I learned too from um I learned too that LA actually, you know, the white sands that are in some beach in Hawaii. Uh-huh. It was transported from LA. Shut up. Yeah, the LA had those. I don't know if it was Long Beach in particular, but there was some, you know, there's beaches in LA that had white sands and they just took it and moved it to Hawaii for some reason. And then drilled for oil right on the beaches of LA. So LA was vastly different, had white sand. Oh. and covered in oaks just absolutely covered in oaks and some cactus and the cactus are still there and some some of the oaks are still there but um yeah. you know you see the cactus on the sides of the hills the paddle cactus and um, yeah. so those are still there but yeah and it had like tons of marshland sand dunes um and then yeah oaks and white sand yeah yeah, Palos Verdes is still pretty preserved. I mean, they've developed on it. Some of El Segundo is pretty preserved, but there's all that industry right there. And I was actually down in San Diego recently by kind of by your place, and there's some there's some cool little paths. Like I went off on this trail, and it was like the end of a cul-de-sac, and it just kept going. It was beautiful. Me and my son went through it. I was like, oh, man, this is cool. I love when there's like at least something. But I think personally that, that the earth is going to take all this back, like everything here on the coast it's especially because I'm in geology right now and like the, the inland desert, like the Mojave was uh marine land. Like there, this, this was, this is from Mojave. So this, that was all ocean just like, like a few million years ago or something like that in the Cambrian age. So like what makes us think that it's, it's constantly changing. And I really think mm-hmm. that the earth's going to take this back in oh, some yeah. catastrophic way, maybe in it's our lifetime. Starting. Yeah. It's starting to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does change over time, but just not this rapidly. It's definitely a human, uh, you know, human force change. Sure. Yeah. So it would eventually change out, but um, not in the decades that we're seeing. You know, in the deserts too, um, they had a lot more pinion pines. Mm. And so there's a lot less Joshua trees growing there. I don't know if we talked about this last time, the Joshua trees being burnt up. So the deserts were not made for fire. They were not fire zones to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so with the lack of rainfall, the pinion pines aren't growing as much. And so the Joshua trees are not growing as much. And the, the little yellow weeds that are like an inch tall on the ground, those are starting to take over because they grow better there. Creosote and that. Mm, I love creosote. Um, yeah, creosote's definitely got its uses. Um, you know, native plant too. Um, I got some hanging in my bathroom. Oh, nice, mm. nice. It doesn't grow where I live. And either do Joshua trees, otherwise I'd plant them and just... I live by the coast and it's too much. It's too wet for, it's not hot enough. Either. I have one. I have a baby Joshua tree. I grew it from seed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. I popped nice. it from seed. It, it was like five seeds and only one took. And it was like, I had given up. I didn't think it was going to pop three months later. It popped and I have it. It's doing well. It's in a big good, container. Good. Yeah. It's, it's hard to grow once it gets past a certain age. It doesn't like to be in a container. Yeah, um, sure. The roots go 75 yeah. feet into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't like being transplanted at all. Yeah. It's 
they're a finicky thing. And uh, I wish I could, I wish I could plant them here. And, and I know that they would not be happy in my environment. Um, I think they're going to be disappearing in like a hundred years or so. They're just not growing at the rate to, to reproduce um, what's, what's dying every year. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the fires took out a bunch and a long time ago, there was fire across the desert that burned a bunch of them and people knocked over the, the Joshua trees but Joshua trees do have some sort of like, because every now and then a fire will come to the desert. And although the, the desert, um, the actual like arid desert plants are not meant for fire, the Joshua tree seeds can grow from fire. Um, they don't need it though. So if, a, if an adult tree burns up, a seedling will grow inside of it. Mm-hmm. And then when it naturally falls, the seedling will be big enough to be exposed to the sun. Mm. Uh, learn that from Desert Oracle, actually. Um and people knocked them down, not knowing this. And so the little babies didn't get a chance to, to get big enough. Um, and so now that there was a fire over there recently, you could see the dead Joshua trees that are burnt still up. People learned to leave them alone now. So hopefully we can get some babies that reproduce Man. and thrive. Yeah. There's something special mm-hmm. about them for sure. I, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope I can get mine to survive. Cause I, in my head, I, I, I didn't, I kind of wondered, like, will it actually survive here? But in my head, I was like, oh, my kid's going to have this one day, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes forever to grow, so it's very possible. It's like six (laughs) inches tall, two years old. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be in that pot One to three inches per year, I believe, in the first, like, 15 years. And then it it actually slows down or increases slightly. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. It's very Mm -hmm. slow. Yeah. Yeah. There used to be this giant Joshua tree and um, in the Mojave, like giant, huge, like uh, bigger than any of the ones that you see out there now. Mm. Um, there's old black and white photos of it. And then somebody set fire to it in the 1920s. Um, it was huge. It was a couple star- stories high, this old ancient Joshua tree. And so it was like your entry into the Mojave, like back in the day before there were map, you know, phones and even, you know, gas stations on the way. You knew when you saw that giant Joshua tree in the distance mm-hmm. that you were near, you know, this desert. And then, yeah, somebody set fire to it in the 1920s and it never came back uh, from that. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool. You can Google that picture, like giant old Joshua tree. And there's a couple black and white photos of it. Mm. I went and saw some sequoias recently. I enjoyed that. I went to Yosemite, I don't know, a couple months ago. I like the forest. I love the desert, but I think I think I like Big Sur the most. Like of all mm. the places, that's like my favorite landscape, like where it's like forest on the beach. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Big Sur is beautiful. I haven't seen those giant redwoods yet, and I'm kind of bummed because mm. I don't know if they're even going to be there anymore. Right, yeah. Some of them burnt up. Yeah, I saw Mad Potters the other day was uh, – up where Methuselah is, it's like the oldest living tree in the United States, and it's in California. I don't know exactly what the city is, but she posted some dope photos. They're bristlecone pines, and they look dead, mm. but they're thousands of years old. They're fucking really cool. They're not as cool Ooh. as redwoods, but they're really fucking cool. Yeah, Would we have a California's got some of the oldest trees in the world, mm-hmm. or at least in the Americas. Totally, yeah, yeah. I think the oldest standing uh, tree, Methuselah. Yeah. Like so cool, five thousand years old or something. I want to see this giant oak, and I need to find where it is. I think it's in LA somewhere. This old, old, old oak oak tree. It's giant, uh, California oak. So it's uh, like it's really tall because you know ours kind of spread out mm-hmm. a lot. This this one is as tall as it is wide, and it's just ancient. And definitely want 
to see the oaks were such a such a huge part of California agriculture and landscape pre-colonization. Mm. Um, and people thrived off of them and and all the species too, like birds and, and it, they were survive, you know, oaks were basically sacred, so, yeah. like the redwoods. Mm. Yeah. And uh, there's some old ones left. Oh, a little side note too. Uh, the zoo wants to expand in LA, but they want to destroy the land in order to expand the uh, the zoo. Who even goes and to the LA Zoo? I've never even been there. I don't know, but they're going to take out some giant oaks if the, if the expansion gets approved, and they're going to take out some of the. You know, we have so little oaks left in, in LA County, and they're going to they want to take it out. So, I mean, wow. I don't know how people feel about the zoo. I, but um, I know there's conservation efforts. You know, the San Diego Safari Park, Wild Animal Park, they, the last, I think, white rhinos that they're breeding through, like, cloning. It's crazy. Uh, so, you know, there's some, there's some good to things, but I don't know if destroying the environment to expand stuff for zoos, like taking down ancient trees, yeah, no. ancient oaks. Yeah. No, under no circumstances should that ever be appropriate, and they've already done enough, you know? They've yeah. done enough, most definitely. Exactly. exactly another cool place is is arrowhead even is fucking really cool that area there, big bear arrowhead yeah Mm -hmm. we have everything it's like we have everything you could do you could do it all in one day (laughs) yeah i have i have i've gone like snowboarding and then back through the desert and then back to my home on the beach and by the beach yeah it's pretty cool it's an awesome place i would have loved to see it you know how it was before which is covered in in animals and life all the plants so many cat you know southern san diego in itself is so diverse for desert plants cacti succulents yeah. Yeah, we talked oh about man that. i, I would have loved to see it love to yeah. see it back in the day yeah. and we only have one native palm here too the date it's a date palm of some sort um not the ones that from the middle east that they're most commonly seen as as date palms but we do have like one california palm here it usually grows out in deserts and where they, they, they suck a lot of water. So um, they grow like a fault line. You can go to, oh, in fact, one of the ones you could see that's still very uh, natural is the, um, or pre-colonization is the Thousand Palms um, Oasis, mm-hmm. I think. It's on the fault line. Mm-hmm. So you, it's it's like north of uh, Palm Springs, but below the mountains that, you know, taking a Joshua tree. And just out of nowhere, there's just palm trees everywhere wow. and they're growing in the water of the fault lines the fault lines like this so there's just like this little lake and river tiny 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 huh. uh, but they all grow there and there's a lot of like there's owls that live there and, and lots owls. of animal and plant life yeah yeah just off that little thing sustaining life in the desert and very much pre-colonization uh, how it was I have a superstition about owls that when you see one, it's like, you know, there's a lot of ancient meaning behind it. But to me, it's like their spirit guide or somebody maybe that you lost. I like to think that because it's really rare that you'll see one and they're so cool. And they're fucking really mm-hmm. cool, man. Love they are. Owls. I saw your we little hawk. Your, yeah, I was about to say hawk that. Friend. We, had a, <laughs> we had a baby that was screaming for the longest time in this palm tree. I could, it was the only palm tree in this area that I could see from my backyard. It sounded like a seagull. Seagulls don't sit alone, so mm. they're they're flo- they're always in a flock. So I couldn't understand why the seagull was just screaming all day, all night. Like, and I realized I should Google what a baby hawk sounds like, and it sounds like a seagull that doesn't shut up. So mm. <laughs> until it gets its voice, you know, it's just like scream like a like a seagull. But now that it's out and about, it's getting braver, and it sits real low on the power lines by our house and in the trees. It's so cool, but 
Um, it's related to an owl. The other day, the other week, I saw it chase an owl. It was so angry. It was screaming again. And and during the day, which was weird, so I'm like, what? Birds are fighting. And I go out to the front yard, and this owl just comes, like, you know, like 20 feet above my head. But I could see the face because it just, like, was scared. Like, eyes. If it, I know it has big eyes already, but, like, it looked freaked out. And that hawk was just giving, like, get out of my neighborhood. Bizarre. <laughs> so, to see an owl during the daytime yeah. and like just head on, just like freaking out, just flying straight, you know, towards me, but well above me. Yeah. Um, so I got to see like the whole face in the day, in the daytime. I never seen that before. It's so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Those are some different people than that. Like they would never fly now. I mean, they're still trying to, I'm talking about colonizers, uh, taking out all that land I, I mean they're obviously still trying to do it with the zoo but there's resistance i just don't see how we allowed that to happen like how they came through here and did all this like these fucking tracks and miles and miles and miles of just decimated land with houses everywhere it's bizarre i don't i don't understand it, yeah what we were thinking it's not sustainable and you know and the reason why they were able to take over is because uh germs and i and i'm part I'm part white. So it's not like, uh, it's not like I'm like, Oh, down with white people or whatever. But, um, colonization is a very serious thing and very much related to Europeans in particular. Um, so their fighting skills were not even better. Their guns were not even better than, the, than uh, indigenous people on their own land. Mm. Um, it's just, they were dirtier. Um, and so they brought a bunch of germs that just decimated killed people. Yeah. And, disease. And, yeah, disease, and then they were able to establish power, so governments and you know policing systems and of whatever that was, and mm. you know with the money backed up by churches, um, and then you know when the government came up, made it basically illegal. Like California's first governor made it um, said that he wanted to exterminate all indigenous, all savages, particularly. I was just where it's all savages from the uh, from California, mm. and so bounties were put on Native Americans. Um, indigenous people and and then when that didn't work they're like well okay here's some land but our government will help pay for it and then the government didn't help pay for it so then they're like well we need to live off your guys's funded land too and then they're like no how about these schools we'll send your kids to these schools (laughs) and and it was just so it's been like a progression and but it really the tipping point was the germs um i don't know about you but i learned that uh our immunity was underdeveloped that's what my textbook said. I remember reading something about that instead of like, no, these people were dirtier and brought their, <laughs> brought right, their germs. Right. <laughs> so we didn't have like plagues here in America, uh, mainly because the population density, um, like there was only, you know, so many, I forget the exact number, but there was less than a million people in California, even with all the families, all the languages, there was less than a million people in the entirety. Mm. So if, any diseases happened um it didn't spread the way that it spread in europe and then the because there was a lot more water here and the maintaining of the land and there wasn't as much animal consumption Mm. which also led to more diseases so you know whenever you get people uh you know crowded in a place with no sanitation and um mixed in with like farming you know because of the waste that comes with that, that leads to diseases. And so I think Europe just had that and California didn't, uh, partially the way they lived, partially how crowded they were. Um, Mm. but yeah. Yeah. 
they got really fucked over. And I mean, look at the the this body count that's coming out of Canada beneath those fucking concentration schools is is what they really were. Yep. They and, were. Yeah. And I, I they the natives are are really ravished with uh ravaged by addiction. I see a lot of natives come into treatment at a, at the facility I work at. We get more more and more and more of them that are becoming addicted to fentanyl, which is really sad. It's really sad. There's a big, big epidemic. I don't speak from experience because I didn't grow up on, on reservations. There's a lot of stuff going on for generational trauma that's been passed down. Um, it was illegal to practice even traditions up until yeah. I think the sixties or seventies in yeah. California. Yeah. Um, not allowed to just speak your language, practice your religion. Um, no and it, yeah. So there's just like this sense of, loss that's been passed down um not to mention the you know having to deal with laws saying that you needed to be exterminated yeah. families split up to to survive um they started killing europeans to try to survive um which was not like a thing a lot of the the indigenous did i mean there were you know there were little spats here and there but overall there wasn't prisons and in like warriors of what you think like there was no armies mm. and policing systems you know and so the learning how to kill people of a certain demographic to learn that as, a, as an indigenous person who was used to seeing the world of i'm connected to these plants these animals these people this earth and to like oh i have to kill this type of person now because they're trying to kill me um and then that got passed down and that was way before the residential schools camps concentration schools and then by the time they couldn't exterminate them they opened up the schools as a way to uh what did they say educate the savage out of them right um but what they did to these kids in the school was cut their hair not allow them to dress they would assault them regularly up in Canada, they were doing food experiments on children and babies. Um, some of them, a lot of them, almost all of them are sexually assaulted girls and boys. And, um, and so that's what happened in school. And now these kids, you know, grow up with that happening to them. They have children, you know, they don't know how to deal with this pain. It's still illegal for them to practice their rituals. They don't have even memories of some of their rituals or even language. And it's just, generational trauma and so to this day we're still seeing that and mm. even on the reservations there's fighting between like you know some people don't think you're truly indigenous if you didn't grow up poor you know on the on the reservations you have blinds on your windows so you're not really as indigenous mm. um you know you live on the res but you have blinds on your windows so you're one of those you're basically white so there's a lot of you know but you see like in inner city you know ghettos and stuff of all you have is your pride for how mm. you grew up. And so that's contributing to a lot of, you know, continuation. And um, I don't know, it's such a complicated issue. I don't know what's going to solve the addiction thing. Sure. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a room. Even... There's also like an, an old rumor that I don't think is true that, that natives are more predisposed to having an allergy to alcohol. I don't know how true it is or if there's science to back that up. But um, I think really what it is is the conditions that they lived in drew them, drove them to that, you know. And now yeah. modern days, it's not alcohol that it is, you know, that, that people turn to anymore. It's just sadly, it's not, you know, it's meth. Yeah. It's meth A lot more of than meth. anything. Yeah. The meth yeah. is getting them 
really good and a lot of people and it's not talked about we talk about the opiate crisis all the time period and not just for natives but in society we're always talking about the opioid crisis but, but we have a fucking meth crisis <laughs> like oh yeah bad real bad the meth is so bad it's so bad it's permeated into the like the cps that they have on the reservations the meth trade is permeated into that and i'm not going to go into details on that uh, it's really disturbing but um mm. and it's not all of them like i'm not saying like i'm not lumping every single indigenous person you know as an addict or every single sure. reservation was poor um fox news did that recently which is kind of messed up um you know it's not even like the meth problem itself it's like a condition problem the robbing of a, of a whole culture and, and yeah. religions and and you know practices that bonded people with with it oh yeah the the only good thing to come out of residential schools was since so many indigenous were together that would have not been together especially in california uh where the where the area was much bigger is um a lot of the families um started cooperating more than they would have if, if they were um you know separated in, in california as they were before so you see a lot of like band of uh band of indians you see that like in southern california mm. you know when they have like such and such band of indians um that they've labeled themselves and it's like you know five or six groups mm. of indigenous families you know um together as a band um that was a result of the indigenous schools because they were together. And since they didn't have their families to rely on traditions, they were, they had the the sense of like, well, you are also indigenous, even though you're not from my family of indigenous, sure. um, you know, you're my specific, you know, immediate family. So there was like a, like a connection of, um, of indigenous people between, but I wouldn't say that's like, I don't even want to say it's the only good thing. Um, Silver but lining. You, yeah from such a horrible situation so it's come out of that is is a lot of them work together now you know they have like you know meetings and got themselves federally recognized as you know groups as a band you know as individual groups within this band and it's kind of strengthened um some of the political pull mm. that indigenous people could have yeah so maybe that's why the conversation is louder today because it seems to be a, a hot topic right now i just listened to a podcast about this the other day um, that they would take the children, like the kids would get to a certain age and they would just take them for the whole school year and they would mm -hmm. maybe bring them back for summer. But most of the time they went to work on summer jobs. They were put to work. Yes. It was labor camps and yeah. sometimes experimental camp, like they'd be experimented on scientifically. We haven't even begun to d dig the, the, the graves here. The first yeah. indigenous school was actually Riverside where I come from mm. technically started in Paris and moved to Riverside. It's still there and still operating. What? And you know, we, yeah, we learned but it's so operated much. by the natives now. Is it? I think yeah, okay, uh, I'd have to look into that. Yeah. That's what I thought. So the, growing the up, I saw this. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in that city, I was like, I want to go because I, you know, I want to see that not knowing the history of boarding schools. Um, and we learned so little of it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And then I have this conflict too, of, you know, being part white, a random European mix, um, and more percentage indigenous than anything. However, I think it's only like, and here's the thing. I shouldn't even have to say percentage. The blood quantum stuff was made up by white people to, uh, discriminate people of any indigenous blood, much how, you know, black people were when, mm. you know, somebody had, 
you know, someone's grandpa was black back in the day. So they're technically black too. Now they can't own land. Right. So the same for, for indigenous. Mm. Um, and now some of the indigenous people have used it to, you know, qualify people to be officially part of the family. Mm. Um, and, and I get why they do that because there's people who, you know, are, I don't know. There's a lot of people that claim that they are indigenous when they're not, when they're mostly white and, you know, um, so they can get the benefits and stuff like money. Yeah. You know, and there's mixed feelings, you know, I don't know how prevalent that is. So I understand the gatekeeping, uh, of that, you know, you don't want more of the culture destroyed. Um, but at the same time, it was literally made up by, by white people to discriminate. So it kind of feels conflicting of like, you know, how much indigenous am I? Do I feel indigenous? I was ra- I was raised non-indigenous. Um, and so there's a big part of me that feels, there's a post secret up Sunday that says, because I don't fit the stereotype, I feel invisible and fraudulent. And I think a lot of indigenous people deal with that. Mm. Um, you know, and me too, I look white. You know, I was raised off reservation. Um, my family didn't keep any traditions. I'm learning all of it as an adult. Um, I also don't have a relationship with my dad. He's not a good person. Mm. Um, my family has a lot of addiction problems. I don't really know them up in Northern California too much. Um, and and so I have this like, am I appropriating? Am I being a victim when I'm not? You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. claiming mm-hmm. persecution when I didn't grow up being discriminated. As, as I think an, you're as just you're person. just a voice. You're just a voice for somebody with a different with a different perspective or a different. You came from a different area. It doesn't mean that you can't be the voice for that culture. Given that you know that that's where you're from, and I think it's beautiful that you're learning about it now as an adult. And I'm sure it like gives you some some more meaning or connection to it. You know, definitely. Yeah. Away from my dad. Yeah. From, I never lived with my dad, but uh, I think initially when I was a kid, I was so obsessed with indigenous things because I think I wanted a connection to my dad. Um, mm. You know, and as I got older, um, I mean, nobody would help me. <laughs> I couldn't find anything about it, you know, and sometimes I'd get made fun of for, you know, wanting to, to be so native. And I'm like, but, you know, I got told recently when I was in Arizona uh, visiting a friend's band, uh, they have an indigenous woman who's a very close friend with them and and she told me she's like that guilt that you feel for like you know not wanting to claim your indigenous side she said that's just white supremacy that's the whole blood quantum thing telling you that you don't belong to something Mm. uh one way or the other she's like don't worry about it she's like you know who you you know who you are you feel it you know what you are she's like because you can feel it deep within you and that's what matters i think that it's a it's not it's something that just mixed people deal with period because I, I, it resonates with me 100%. I identify as Filipino. I don't know my white side. I never grew up there on the East Coast. And I, I was raised by my Filipino side. And, you know, some certain full Filipino people make me feel like a half. And they may go, they'll make a point to say, oh, well, you know, he's half. And, you know, it's, I, I, but that's how I identify. That's what I feel. That's the culture that I am. Yes, I'm American as fuck, you know, whitewashed in quotation marks. But, um, definitely that that that's my those are my roots you know and i think it's perfectly normal and something that we all struggle struggle with having um, assimilated here you know and mm-hmm. being raised in these indoctrination american schools you know because yep. that's yeah. what they are they tell us uh one one 
uh, perspective, their their version of history that's not fucking true, you know? Yep, not at all. <laughs> we were raised on not bullshit. Not at all. Complete yeah. bullshit. It's true. The, ma- the math the math parts are pretty good. It's hard to lie sure. with math. <laughs> history, though, that's... It's bullshit. The history is really, you know, that I had a problem with, with, with the education. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then um, when I took a class with Nicholas Hummingbird, I... Um, uh, of like native California native foods at the end, he, he called on me and one other person to, to say our thoughts and then told the class, um, he called on us because, um, we were California indigenous and, um, oh, I'm crying right now. But like, once I got off the zoom meeting, I started bawling, like being recognized for the first time by mm-hmm. another indigenous. So I'm not recognized on paper as part of my family. I didn't expect it to, to be so, oh God. I didn't expect it to be so emotional. It's okay. It's just a few weeks ago, so it's new. But to be acknowledged as part of, um, you know, as part of my indigenous side, if, it almost felt like all the years of the things that I felt were finally validated. Not that I needed an outside person necessarily, but yeah, I mean, I guess you probably relate in a way. You know, um, I hear that from a lot of Asian families actually. Um, that you know, their kids aren't Asian enough when they're raised in America, and so they always feel like. They're not really Asian. Yeah. And and that's how I felt my whole life with being indigenous. Like, am I really? And so to have, you know, that one lady who told me, you know, it doesn't matter how you're raised, it's what you feel, you know. Yeah. You know you're you know where you're from, you know where how you, who you are. And and then to or have him just like include me in front of people for my thoughts. And because of that, it was I don't know, it's amazing. It's not something we get a whole lot. Um your identity was like, validated. Yeah, yeah. It's like mixed indigenous people. I don't know. And I'm just, and I'm so extra sensitive of it about it being, you know, uh, you know, part white too, because so many people, um, you know, appropriate <laughs> that are white. And mm-hmm. I try to walk this line of like not doing that, but it was really nice to be recognized. Um, I didn't know it had that impact on me. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I've honestly grown to become ashamed. Some people, listeners might not like this, but I, you know, my dad gets kind of frustrated because I've practically denounced my white side and I'm like almost ashamed of it. I don't mention it. When you ask me what my ethnicity is, when I want the little check boxes, I check off Pacific Islander. I don't check off white. And it's because of the the racism that I faced growing up for sure, you know, and, and seeing both sides of it. And and then just, I chose one side, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that's where I'm, I'll stay. Um, but that's so beautiful. And what, what remind me again, you you posted something about what happened with the paperwork. Something happened. Wasn't there like a something happened oh. with the fire or something? Oh yeah. So the recent fire, uh forget forget what I don't know if there's another fire going on, but uh so a long eons ago a flood took out some of our family papers. Mm. And I went um I'm going to disclaim put a dis, a little uh disclaimer, not a disclaimer, uh something here. Anyway, uh so tribe is not like the best word to use. I know a lot of indigenous people use it. I've heard from many indigenous people, a tribe was more like derogatory. I guess it was kind of a white person mm. thing to, sorry for the plane. It's pretty loud. Um, I didn't hear Okay, now I hurt. can talk. <laughs> oh, it's like right in my, it's so loud. I can hear myself talk. Um, but so when I say family, that's what I mean. It's like tribes. So, um, so my family my family, meaning the Maidu people, had some of their records wiped out by a flood. And 
they never got around to revalidating people. So those people were just like not technically part of the Maidu family anymore. And then recently this fire burnt up uh, a community center, like a community little block. So I think it was like a medical center somewhere with tribal documents uh, and some of the family register. Yeah. So even more got destroyed by the fire, which just to me, it was like, I can't unsee the colonization that why that fire was happening in the first place shouldn't have been there. Mm. It was over the years of colonization and the, you know, mm. it made it illegal, making our cultural burns illegal, which would have prevented that fire. And, you know, we keep losing stuff to climate that we can't maintain. Yeah. It's like forced on us. And I, I'm not officially recognized in my family. I would have to go up and do a blood quantum thing. And, and it's so, I can't handle that. I didn't grow up with good parents and was pretty much rejected by both my parents and a lot of people who said they were family. And so I, I have this hesitation to go up because if I'm rejected from that, I don't know how I'm going to yeah. emotionally deal with that. So um, I was trying to get things in place to prove, you know, I am who I am. So I'd go up there and be like, yes, like, I don't even know my grandparents name. I found it on the internet recently. Um, and and uh, I would try Googling Clark. Like, you're never going to find your family <laughs> with the last name of Clark. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so some family documents got burnt up and and and, reg- and names too. So yeah. who knows what's going to go on, but it's not a good time to go up to Oroville and be like, yo, I'm part of this family, even though I, you don't know me and I've grown up in Southern California. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know if I'm ever going to be on paper recognized in my own family. Yeah. Um, and it's just confusing because it's like, I understand why they gatekeep, but it's also because of colonization and, but it feels important to you. If it feels important to you, you know, it could be, you know, talk, you could get it eventually, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think when I'm older and, um, you know, it's the reject, the, the abandonment stuff isn't, isn't as prevalent. It gets less every year, you know, the abandonment rejection type stuff, um, but it's still very much a big wound for me. That was probably my biggest wound in my life between my parents, my family, and all the people I've known who continue to die. Um, I have a big hole, like loss. It's my it's my big life wound. You know, we all have our, mm. our big thing to deal with. Mm. And some people it's addiction, you know, or mine is like, is rejection or abandonment, which to me, like death feels the same. So um, whether someone dies, leaves, or rejects me as part of the family, it kind of all feels the same to me. Yeah. 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 So to be recognized, yeah, to be recognized on that Zoom meeting was, it felt like a new chapter in my life started. Mm. It's too bad that that it requires paperwork to be recognized in the first place. You know what I mean? That's also the result of us, of colonization as well, right? Yeah. Like it, it should, shouldn't yep. be any documentation required to uh, be who you are. Yeah. It's probably one of the only races that, that <laughs> you have to, to prove it yeah. with your blood. Right. Yeah. You literally have to prove it with the blood in your body. Bizarre. Yeah. And your family tree, but you know, the, fa- the family tree isn't always intact with when people were systematically murdered. Sure. Yeah. I, like when it comes to like ancestry or things like that, it, they, they don't go into indigenous records, do they? Like those, um, there's, those, there's some, but you know, everything was oral for a long time, like word of mouth, I guess, uh, in a, you know, even in when people died, they, there was a lot of finality to it too, within certain families. Like, 
uh, the most I could find on like funerary type uh, uh, rituals in my family, which I think I'm not, I still have to validate it, but uh, a lot of Northern California tried to just burn everything. So there wasn't even record of people after a certain point. All you had was word of mouth. Like oh, they had a yearly, I tried to incorporate it into my day of the dead altar that I made for the first time. Um, like some of my indigenous stuff, but then that's where I found out, oh, my family just burned everything, literally everything, the house they lived in, all their possessions. But they get together once a year, have like a morning of, a, of, of the, you know, who recently died, like the families of people recently died, got like the morning time, I guess, in the ceremony. And then they would just burn everything. Mm-hmm. So I know my family didn't have records, physical copies of records for a long time. They would intentionally burn everything. Man, you know, there's not a lot of people out there that still care about where they came from, that still care about their heritage and care about their roots. So I think it's beautiful to see. And it, it's something that I care about a lot, too, for sure. And I wish I could dig deeper into and I probably will eventually, you know, especially when you start to lose people, when you start to lose the elders in your family, then it's one kind of might be too late, but two, like, you know, become more uh motivating to do so like when my grandma grandma's she's she lives on the same property as me she's like 90 years old she just turned 89 years old and i I don't think i've ever really sat down with her and like like asked her about her life you know like i don't i don't know a lot about my family's history and like i would dread to lose her before getting to do that you know what i mean so it's like I don't know. Somebody recommended it to me the other day and I posted it was her birthday. They're like, dude, sit her down and go talk to her. Go ask her yeah. questions. Like bring a voice recorder and talk to her before she goes. And I, I, I've not been thinking about it ever since. But I want to do the ancestry shit too or something like that. One of those mm-hmm. fucking, I don't know, you prick your finger. Oh, yeah. I am afraid to do that because I don't, I'm afraid that I'm way more white than mm-hmm. <laughs> then I am like I don't want something to disqual disqualify me from my indigenous side even more because mm-hmm. it's not even like let's say so rumor is my dad is more than half my due mm-hmm. so I'm supposedly more than a quarter but that doesn't if you do DNA it just depends what what you know little buttons got pushed on your little DNA strand you know, just like dogs, you can have, you know, dogs from a mixed litter and some of them are black and some of them are blonde sure. and they can eat, they, one will have 30% chow. The other one will be 50% Labrador. Like, you know, it just depends which little things were clicked on More your like DNA. More like dominant genes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Because for instance, my dog, I did the DNA on her. I had no idea what breed she is. She's predicted by her genes to be 56 pounds. She's 35. So all these things said she's this giant breed of dog. She's a mix of giant breed dogs. She's 35 pounds. Mm. Um, so physically her genetics don't even match. Most of, most of them do match like the fur color and, and, and the breeds definitely, she looks like the mixed breed she is. Um, but yeah, but the weight was off. And so I'm like kind of afraid of that <laughs> Yeah. as like, if I get this done, if I try to get, you know, I'm put on paper with my family later, will that affect Mm. that mm. so i'm personally scared of that based on my skin came out so light so compared to my dad's mm. yeah well we end up people end up finding out that are like this much percentage african all these different things mm-hmm. it's crazy like yeah i want to know i definitely want to know cool yeah. so what what else is going on in your life right now what, what have you been up to 
What are you doing? Oh, are you working on some baking. things? I saw your, baking I saw your season. Halloween decorations. I loved them. The babies <laughs> on the roof. <laughs> oh yeah. I got one behind me too, but this is my everyday decoration. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I love them. Oh, people will drive by. Like when I first put up, they're just, they're looking really troubled <laughs> at my yard. It's like an upside Perfect. down baby hanging off the fucking roof. Oh yeah. They're <laughs> all naked. It, they're all old dolls and naked. And, and it's just, I never clothe them. I got them from, uh, I get them from thrift stores and like, you know, internet marketplaces and, and uh, um, usually estate sales when they have like a box of old broken dolls, that, you know, all these old women have. Mm. So I just take them like, how much for that box? I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks for all those dolls. And they're just like, yeah, here, have these broken, ugly things. Like, yes. <laughs> awesome. Some of them are Halloween. Some of them are my home decor. And it just, it's a perfect prank because it makes everyone upset, but mm. it doesn't harm anybody. And mm. it's just, it, I don't know. It upsets the status quo, I think, when you see that. Yeah. Unconventional. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. But as far as my personal life, it's baking season again. So nice. now that I'm healed from my hysterectomy, um, I can pick up all those rolls and do all the bending and stuff that I do to bake them. Mm. So yeah, be prepared, everyone, for I'll have some rolls at the sales just to give out for the holidays. And um, I don't know. I don't do it for like a normal job, so I don't necessarily need purchases, but it's always nice if someone wants to buy them. But I will. I'm, I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been waiting. I, I haven't even yeah. tried one yet. So, oh my gosh, I gotta get you one then. Yeah, well, I'll buy it. Just let me know when you make them, and I'll, I'll buy some. I'm yeah. going to San Diego I'm... in a couple of weeks. I'll be down there. I'm gonna stop by CSGs, and then I'm gonna go to my lady's house in the weekend after next. Perfect. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I'll have them because I'm baking a bunch tomorrow. Um, cool. Actually, I'm making like 30 pounds of cream cheese icing. Nice. I buy this big old brick here. Nice. That's wow. all that butter. Fuck. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, so, <laughs> That's just the filling. Um, so I'm making that today after this podcast is done. Um, and I have a bunch already made, but I hate making the cream cheese icing because it's powdered sugar. It's horrible. Mm. And uh, But I'm going to do all the baking tomorrow for just regular pumpkin rolls. I did a bunch of baking before my hysterectomy because uh, I knew I could not handle uh, baking and carrying stuff uh, for the restaurant that buys them from me. Mm. So that I technically make at their restaurant. You know, <laughs> has the has the hospital slowed down at all? It, how are things over there? Yes. Oh my God! So, hospitals have had a max mass exodus because after working through the pandemic, dealing with people who are COVID deniers and working on those people while they're dying of COVID, mm-hmm. and then not being appreciated or paid well mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic, uh, people are done, and so we lost a lot of medical professionals this year. Doctors, nurses, scrub techs, circulating nurses, people who are very specifically trained to things, Mm. burnt out, burnt out, done. And now we don't have a lot of good staff at a lot of hospitals. Mm. Yep. And instead of, and this is what happens with when, uh, you know, things are privatized and capitalism, it's all about, you know, profit and dollar. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in the late stage of it now in the hospital. So, you know, administration always has money for them. You know, the CEO always gets money. You know, the, whoever heads the, the hospital gets money. And administration's always staffed. Mm. And in the meantime, nurses and scrub techs are not getting paid livable wages. They're working 17-hour days back-to-back, which is illegal. But we're back to that. Do you and see the industry so, collapsing? Yes, I do. And I've seen it slow collapsing since uh, the pandemic. It was actually part of the reason why I was so depressed during the pandemic on top of 
everything else that went on. Mm-hmm. Um, being in an environment, even though I'm not in the ER and I'm not in ICU, so it's a little, I don't see some of the crazy stuff it, that people do, but even the ORs underappreciated, mm-hmm. overworked. And I mean, you lose OR staff, the hospital doesn't make money, their money's in, in surgeries. Um, so that's one thing. You'd think that hit, being hit in the pocketbook would would make them you know, want to pay people more so they stay. Nope. So a lot of hospitals slowed down, even though we still have beds. There's still a bunch of COVID people in there, most of them unvaccinated. Mm. Um, but the beds are not all taken like, like before. Mm. Um, so surgeries are still going, but we don't have the staff to do surgeries anymore. So some of the hospitals that want to retain the same number of surgeries, their quality of care has gone down. Mm. I can't say who they are. Um, some places have closed OR rooms entirely. So like half the OR is operating and um, because that's all the staff they have. Well, on top of so that, the, the vaccine mandates push some people out too, right? Yeah, but most some of percentage. the people are, are for it. And some percentage yeah, like though, right? Yeah, mostly, you know, and it depends on the area. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And the crazy thing is you have to be vaccinated to work in a hospital anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is, you know, no, it However, makes sense why a medical yeah, yeah. professional should be vaccinated. It makes yep. sense. Because we're in an environment that spreads diseases no matter how clean it is um, because we're in close quarters with people and different people all the time who are sick or have immunocompromised uh, issues. or yeah. and, and so we're more likely to spread it to the general public. It's sure. a safety issue. And so, you know, if you work in an office, you work at home, like, you know, Whatever you think of vaccination is fine. You're not spreading it to people. Yeah. When you work in close contact with people, you're in their faces. You're yeah. touching their bodily fluids. Just you have to be vaccinated. Yeah. And in fact, um, some of my training, I have to get these certifications to even be in hospitals in the first place. Mm. Some of the certifications uh, we have to take tests for. One of the tests was on, I forget which hepatitis, if it is A or B, um, but the you have a risk. Our biggest risk is hepatitis in the hospitals more than HIV. Sure. So MRSA and hepatitis, yeah. they're just so easily spreadable. So we really watch out for that. Uh, mm-hmm. And C. diff, of course, that's not as common. Um, but the hepatitis, once they started mandating hepatitis vaccines for hospital staff, it went down per year in the tens of thousands, the mm-hmm. transmission rate, mm-hmm. tens of thousands across the United States, mm-hmm. just after a year of forced hepatitis vaccination. For medical staff. That makes sense. And it's from, yeah, pinpricks. It's also medical practices, like how they put needles away. But even so, you just, you, I work around blood. Like I've had bodily fluids spurted in my eye mm. just through being in the OR before. So there's always a risk of like getting hepatitis. That's the biggest one. So, uh, yeah, just the vaccination for that alone brought down transmission rates for everybody. Mm. So they work, you know, and, um, and so we have to be vaccinated for chickenpox if you haven't had it. One of the hepatitis is uh, the flu every year and now COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, it seems like maybe the efficacy isn't lasting as long as we thought it would. That That's the only downside yeah. I see. If they come up with some other kind of uh, medication or therapeutic or something, maybe then those people can do that. I don't know. It does suck nice. for them. It sucks for them. I feel yeah, for yeah. them, the people that are losing their jobs. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't need mine yet. So I guess the Pfizer is the one that's dropping to 50%. Uh, is it? Faster? Yeah, yeah. It's and, the one that J&J. decreases faster? Oh, yeah. The yes. J&J, you can get three months after you got the first one. 
Yeah, you can yeah. get a booster and it's not like right after. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. So for the Moderna so far, which is the one I got, me too. We're still in the nineties, so we don't necessarily need it. Yeah, I might get it because I never we test every patient now, but I don't know. I just have contact with so many people per day mm. with my job, and then also my private life. I'm going back to concerts and all that. Yeah, I've been going to shows. I've been to like six shows in the last two months. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, big music fan, big, uh, you know, community and art. Yeah. And that's what a concert is to me, community yeah. art. Uh, but I just feel like I'm high risk for transmitting it. I don't want to give it to people. So I'm going to go get the booster. Um, but there's no study out to show that the Moderna is, booster is effective. Mm. And that sounds really negative when you take that at face value. But what it is, is that the Moderna rate has been so high uh, that a booster doesn't really improve your odds of, of it being more efficient because mm. it's still pretty efficient at keeping the virus away. Mm. Mm. Um, so, you know, they want to push it because now they're at the point where they can make money off of it. So it's bad for the business, but it's good for us who got Moderna because we, a booster doesn't really make a big difference for us so far. Let me be real so with me- you. I haven't caught it and I had the Moderna and in, in treatment and substance abuse treatment, nobody wears masks. We are incredibly irresponsible in my field because we live in, <laughs> we, we work in houses. They're, they're residential mm-hmm. treatment centers. So nobody wants to wear a fucking mask when they're living in a home. You know what I mean? Yes. So nobody does. None of our nurses do. Every once in a while I see a nurse wear one. The doctors don't even fucking wear masks in the treatment centers. And I, I'm sorry, treatment mm-hmm. industry, but that's a fact. None of us were, <laughs> yeah. I were on groups. And I've been exposed multiple times and I haven't fucking caught it. So the majority good. must be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. And you're low risk too right. with, with your age and, and health. So right. yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, there's different factors for everybody, but yeah. And then, yeah, Moderna so far has been the, the best one. Uh, and so far it hasn't gone down. Uh, the latest study has shown it hasn't gone down. So maybe, maybe we won't need a booster for that. I'm hoping we don't, or if we need a booster, it's every so many years, like hepatitis, that would make sense. like T like Tdap. Cause you need boosters for those, but it's, you know, it's a big, long space years, 10, 10 for 10 years for your hepatitis. Like tetanus TDAP too, shot. right? Tetanus, you yep. need boosters. Yeah, yeah, only every 10 years. Yeah. And hepatitis, it's every, I think, three to five or something. And, um, I unfortunately have to get a chickenpox shot all the time. I never had it. And I have to get, I had to get three mm-hmm. rounds of the shot. It gave me chickenpox. It's the only one. That one is a live virus. Not all of them are live viruses, but I got chickenpox the back of my uh, arm here. I got sick, like a cold. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> dude, I got chickenpox uh, when I was a kid. And then I got shingles as a young adult. <laughs> oof. Yeah. shingles yeah. only old people supposedly get it i fucking caught That's it rough. i got it maybe you should get maybe you should get the, the little vaccine for it mm. i heard that getting the chicken pox increases shingles versus mm. getting the vaccine i don't know how true that is mm. um but cool for me because i have never caught chicken pox uh, i've been exposed to it and for whatever reason never ever caught it mm. well jesse i really enjoyed hearing about your your like passion for your culture and all this stuff that you're learning about your family and your history and you're really easy to talk to super easy to talk to i enjoyed this a lot oh thank you thank you i didn't mean to end abruptly but no it's fine i can talk forever so i'm fine with ending abruptly (laughs) (laughs) all right well good luck on your baking and thank you so much for doing this spontaneously by the way you guys jesse agreed to do this yesterday with like 24 hours notice so <laughs> yeah and it feels good yep. to be back i haven't podcasted in 20 t- 20 days 
Yeah. 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 We've been waiting for new episodes. So happy, happy you're back. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All, All right. right. Have a good day. Enjoy your day. If everybody could please right. like review and subscribe to the podcast and hit that share button. I would appreciate that. Thank you. Bye.